0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Smarter, a podcast by clinicians for clinicians, brought to you by MARTA, an Australian leader in healthcare for more than a
1: century. My name is Gillian Whiting. And I'm Catherine Cooper, Clinical Specialty Coordinator for Mothers, Babies and Women's Health at MARTA. And we're coming to you from
0: Mianjin, the land on which this podcast is being recorded. Today we are joined by Huda Safa, Senior Specialist in Obstetrics and Gynaecology at Marta Mothers Hospitals. Huda has a wealth of experience in high-risk pregnancies and is dedicated to maintaining a patient-centred care approach. She's actively involved in the medical education of specialist trainees, junior doctors and medical students and is also a Senior Lecturer and on the Board of Examiners at the University of Queensland. Today, she's joining us
1: to talk about preterm births, recognising the risks.
0: Marta. Caring for the community for more than a century.
1: Innovators in health, education and research. Home to world-class a clinicians. State of the art facilities. High quality, fashion Australia's and largest and leading Turning maternal. scientific maternal discoveries educating into life and health care advancements. We are Marta. We are Marta. We are Marta. This is Smarter.
0: Welcome to Smarter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's set the scene. Who's most at risk of preterm birth?
2: Risk factors for preterm birth are well uh, published and described in national and international guidelines, um, and one of the most um, predictive risk factors is a history of previous preterm birth in the woman uh, herself but also other risk factors like multiple pregnancy uh, previous history of subi- substantial cervical surgery like cone biopsy or uh, multiple lets procedures uh, these are usually procedures that are undertaken to treat cervical dysplasia which is encountered in the um, context of abnormal pap smears so when a pap- abnormal pap smear is detected surgery sometimes is required there are other risk factors um, largely related to demographics and socioeconomic factors associated with um, preterm birth, um, like smoking, for example. Um, but a good percentage of women who develop preterm birth, unfortunately, lack any identified risk factors.
1: How much attention should we pay to those sociodemographic factors compared to, say, cervical surgery or smoking?
2: That is a very good question, actually, um, Catherine, and the evidence doesn't exactly tell us the weight of each risk factor that is associated with preterm birth, uh, but... I believe the focus should be on what we call modifiable risk factors and definitely socioeconomic factors are in that category. You cannot do much about previous cervical surgery risk or um, risk I did not mention is risk of um, congenital uterine abnormalities or malarian abnormalities. There's not much that can be done about that. But definitely investing in modifying risks such as smoking early in the piece is such an investment to reduce a range of perinatal adverse outcome, not just preterm birth. And of course, goes beyond pregnancy years. So I totally agree. We should focus there.
0: What about women who don't tick any of those um, boxes that that you've mentioned there? Mm -hmm. How then do you identify risk?
2: That's a brilliant question, Gillian, and actually the subject of a large national collaborative aiming at reduction of preterm birth. Um, So a good percentage of women, like I um, indicated earlier, will lack risk factors uh, and have a short cervix incidentally found at mid-trimester scan. Uh, We believe we can target that cohort of women to make a difference to preterm birth risk in this country.
1: So when do, when do we do that scan? Is there a strict window
2: for when you do that? Um? So this is a scan that is also known as a morphology scan. So it's the main ultrasound scan that um, most pregnant women will choose to have uh, during the journey of pregnancy. Um, and that is usually performed between 18 and um, 20 weeks. And the evidence for the purpose of reduction, preterm birth is strongest uh, for that window, if you like. So, if we identify short cervix in that scan, uh, that's an opportunity to intervene and prescribe progesterone to reduce the risk of preterm birth. Because a short cervix, even though incidental, uh, i.e., there's no symptoms, is a powerful predictor of increased risk of preterm birth.
0: So, once you've identified someone is being at risk, what conversations or what support do do you give those women, uh, particularly around those who probably may not be expecting it?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. I think the conversation should start before we identify the risk, especially in the context of those women um, in whom a short cervix is identified by educating them because women do expect to have that morphology scan um, uh, around that mid-trimester. Um, and we need to explain to them that, Measurement of the cervical length is routine part of the ultrasound scan and there is a possibility that the cervix might be identified to be short and if that's the case, they need to uh, either present to us at the hospital where we can address that and um, start progesterone therapy or go back to their GP as soon as they can um, to get that support and um, follow-up programs in place uh, to try and um, make sure that we have a cervical surveillance program for them. So education is key and, and
0: helping them feel safe and that there is a clear pathway.
2: Exactly right. So it's there's no unknowns or um, mysteries or surprises. So uh, clear communication pathways.
0: In a best practice statement reviewed in 2021, RANSCOG, the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, supports the use of trans-abdominal screening of low-risk women with singleton pregnancies at the mid-trimester scan, with additional transvaginal assessment for those with a short cervical length or a full cervical length unable to be clearly viewed. Let's talk about that in a bit more detail. Please, uh, Huda. So, women who go through that midterm scan, as you mentioned, the morphology scan, which uh, they're familiar with, uh, where the cervix is uh, measured transabdominally, how long should that cervix be and at what point does it ring alarm bells for you?
2: Yes, that is the new message we're trying to get through to our sonographers, radiologists, and women themselves is that uh, the cervical length is uh, usually measured on abdominal modality, transabdominal modality and if the length that is measured is less than 35 millimeters or indeed the service cannot be clearly visualized that is when the um, next step um, is indicated which is offering uh, that woman a transvaginal ultrasound scan to get a more accurate look at um, that cervical length and the cutoff value that we look for as um, significant, is less than 25 millimetres. So a transvaginally uh, measured cervical length of less than 25 millimetres is defined as short and requires an intervention, ideally that same day.
1: How how did we determine that length of 25 millimetres?
2: So very good question, Catherine. Um, The 25 millimetres seems to be the cutoff where um, the risk prediction um, matches uh, a lot of studies that have been done in this space for intervention, and it matches the shortest tenth tenth centile of what a cervix should be in mid trimester.
0: So, some women, I assume, would um, not be prepared for a transvaginal scan. D- does some say they're uncomfortable or refuse even?
2: That is, I think, comes down to um, lack of knowledge of the role of this. Um, um, let's say intrusive examination for some women, and that's why part of our collaborative um, at MATA to reduce risk of preterm birth, uh, we've produced some patient education brochures about cervical length for education. Uh, I personally have a conversation with a woman about. Um, their morphology scan and say that this is a detailed ultrasound scan that has three objectives one is assessing your baby Um, one is looking at your placenta and its relationship to the uterus and one is to look at your cervical length Um, And in a small percentage of women, it will be short um, on transabdominal modality, and that needs to be checked on a um, transvaginal modality. In fact, there is evidence to support a high level of acceptability in the population um, when women are educated and expectations are set about the role of this test. They appreciate the um, diligence and the care that's provided to them uh, to Identify a risk that is mitigatable. Huda, what happens if the woman does decline the transvaginal scan? Like what are the options
1: available to the clinician? Like transabdominally is not as clear as transvaginal?
2: Um, the transabdominal modality does have pitfalls and limitations because usually performed with a full bladder in um, pressure with the probe on the um, abdominal wall, which can falsely elongate the cervix. Um, and again, backed by evidence, when you eliminate these factors, because for a transvaginal um, modality, the woman needs to empty her bladder, and the probe is different, it's entered um, vaginally, so it looks closer at the mm-hmm. cervix, and it's, if you like, the source of truth. Uh, if a woman does decline, we always maintain patient-centered care um, and uphold the principles of respecting patient's autonomy. We then shift and focus from approaching this in proactive, prophylactic way to a more reactive way. Should a woman present uh, later on in pregnancy with symptoms suggestive of preterm birth, um, contractions, Uh, pelvic pressure, we then use transvaginal ultrasound scan for cervical length assessment as our diagnostic tool to say you have increased risk of preterm birth in the next seven days and then there's a different protocol to try and suppress contractions, start steroids, antenatal steroids on board. Uh, So we always try and approach things in a proactive way, but I respect um, some patients might have different reasons for declining a recommended intervention.
0: We go into um, more of this in future episodes, but can you go into a little bit more detail about the preferred methods of of intervention when someone with preterm birth is um, identified?
2: Yes, um, that is also a very good question. What is available to us and backed by evidence is two interventions um, the um, least um, invasive and associated with no known harms or risk is vaginal progesterone. Natural vaginal progesterone started on that same day that the short cervix is identified has been proven to reduce the risk of preterm birth. Um, and that's the preferred first line option. This is in the context of a woman who's had a short cervix identified at mid-trimester scan. The other option um, is an operation um, called cervical circlage. It's a surgical procedure under general anesthetic or spinal anesthetic where a stitch is placed in the cervix, um, a permanent stitch that's usually removed um, 36 weeks to support that structural integrity of the cervix. As you might appreciate, it's a more invasive approach, so it's not usually first line but there'll be a select group of, of patients for whom it might be an appropriate first line. Um, for example, a woman who is, um, that comes to mind who uh, is started on progesterone and despite that there's progressive cervical shortening that we would detect with the surveillance program I was um, talking about before. In those women... A, a stitch is indicates probably a more appropriate option. Another scenario where a stitch is a f- appropriate first-line option is a woman who had previous history of, uh, sometimes more than once, of uh, preterm birth or second trimester loss in those women. A circlage is um, superior to uh, progesterone as an intervention. There are obviously many other interventions that have been studied and uh, are not really backed by evidence, so we don't tend to use them.
0: A major risk factor for premature labour is being pregnant with multiple babies. The Australian Bureau of Statistics reports that in 2021, mothers who had a multiple pregnancy accounted for 1.4% of all women who gave birth. Queensland and the Australian Capital Territory had higher proportions of multiple births than any other state or territory. When we're talking about um, women with multiple pregnancy um, and the risk of preterm birth, wh- what is the rate? How common is that for those particular patients?
2: Oh, multiple pregnancies is a different kettle of fish altogether, yes. In fact, if you look at our statistics from Queensland, um, our preterm birth for multiples in um, 2021 20, q pqc report was as high as 69%. But can I say only th- third of those were spontaneous preterm birth. Mm-hmm. It is important to acknowledge that about 20 to 30% of preterm births are iatrogenic, initiated by us because of a risk that's been identified to either the mother or the baby. And unfortunately, in multiple pregnancies, um, depending on the type of twins, which are the most common type of multiple pregnancies, uh, there's so many other risks that prompt itrogenic earlier delivery. So they're having multiple pregnancies, to answer your question, Julian, have increased risk inherently of preterm birth, both medically indicated and spontaneous. You mentioned progesterone and cervical cyclage. Are they
1: suitable for multiple pregnancies? Can we use them?
2: Yes and no. <laughs> so if it's an unselected multiple pregnancy, i.e. there's no previous pregnancy, um, history of preterm birth there is no short cervix in this pregnancy using progesterone prophylactically has not been successful in reducing the risk of preterm birth in this cohort however if you have a multiple pregnancy with a short cervix Absolutely. Progesterone and potentially circlage, Um in some studies and not others has uh, been um, effective in reducing the risk of preterm birth.
0: One of the risk factors for preterm birth that we haven't discussed is um, infection. What infection are we talking about?
2: Yeah. Infection and inflammation were um, actually some of the earliest risk factors that were studied in this space. And um, yes, of course, there is systemic infections like the flu and COVID and polynephritis. Any maternal systemic serious infection could start a cascade of preterm contractions and preterm labor. But I guess in this space, we're talking about um, localized infection or probably even colonization of the genital tract with some bacterial species that are not strictly an infection, um, although can be associated with some infections like STIs, that have been, uh, in older studies, associated with increased risk of preterm birth. Uh, The problem with looking for infection routinely is that the results of studies have been conflicting about effectiveness, especially in asymptomatic population, going and screening all women for the risk of presence of some bacterial species in the vagina for the purpose of giving them antibiotic treatment has not been um, effective in reducing preterm birth. However, we do screen for other infections. For example, um, asymptomatic bacteria. We routinely perform a urine test uh, for these women to reduce Maternal disease and risk of um, infection transmission. So uh, there are other areas where we do screen routinely for infection, like syphilis, for example, uh, to reduce um, some risks, but not on, on um, uh, population basis.
1: Um, so one of the things that I'm personally passionate about, obviously, midwifery continuity of care, I understand that can make a difference to
2: outcomes? Absolutely, absolutely, Catherine. In fact, it's one of the core seven strategies of the Preterm Birth Prevention Collaborative uh, is that women should have access to kin- a known midwife throughout their pregnancy if possible. And we are very lucky at Marta that we do offer continuity of care to a variety of our um, pregnant population um, cohorts. Um, including Preterm Birth Prevention Clinic now. I think we have at least two publications from MATA attesting to the value of continuity of care in both of these um, two populations. Uh, one is a First Nations woman, BIOC, or Birthing in Our Community Model of Care, and the other one is um, Young Woman. Uh, so that's um, another uh, high-risk um, group for a number of adverse perinatal outcomes. So these two studies have both um, demonstrated reduction in preterm birth um, rate when there is a care by a known midwife. So that's some of a larger pool of evidence. uh, there. So that's undebatable, in my mind at least. (laughs) That seems like good news for
0: you. It makes you very very happy. It
1: It does.
2: Before we go, Huda, we'd like to introduce you
1: to a little segment called The Checkup.
0: we want to know more about Huda the medical professional and Huda the person. So Catherine's going to ask you five quick,
1: very simple questions. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. How do you want patients to see you?
2: How do I want patients to see me? Um, As a caring, compassionate, um, supportive and um, approachable doctor.
1: Beautiful. How would you describe your handwriting? oh (laughs) can we not (laughs) okay moving on (laughs) who was the last person you facetimed
2: uh my dad what tv show best portrays your profession Oh, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, come on. But, Where all the doctors do all the nurses' work. But um, it is very unrealistic. Look, to answer that question, most medical TV shows don't reflect uh, the reality <laughs> that we live in. But I thoroughly enjoy watching it. It's such a
1: good show, though. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and what's your superstition? Um, I don't have many. I don't have many. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just take it as it comes
0: beautiful huda thank you so much for joining us on smarter that was fantastic
2: thank you for having me
0: for our listeners at home or in the car or having a well-deserved break between patients thank you for tuning in see you next time on smarter